Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. On this episode, I run a beer mile. How did it go? Did I get a little tipsy? Yes. Also, we'll head to Blue Bomber Trading Camp, where Bob Irving talked to reigning Blue Bomber Rookie of the Year, Marcus Sales. And inside the replay booth, Jeff, Braun and I watch and review Rush from 2013. That's on the podcast. So last Friday, I had Corey Gallagher on the show, defending Manitoba Marathon champion and former Beer Mile world record holder. Why? Well, because the next day, I planned on running my first ever Beer Mile or Beer Run. I don't think it was technically the distance was exactly a mile, but close enough. So how did it go? Let's find out. And fair warning, guttural sounds. Yeah, so you better drink all the beer. It's just after 12 p.m. on a sunny Saturday at CrossFit 431 on Wall Street in Winnipeg. Myself and a few other souls are ready for the beer mile, and others are here to watch and cheer on. Though a couple people are running late, and the anticipation is really starting to get to me. I don't know why I'm anxious. Because this is hard. It's hard? Yeah. It's like the first one's fine, second one's fine. Third one's where everyone falls apart. Okay. Like, that's just what it is. That other voice you heard is Jeff McGregor, who runs the gym here. It's an old mechanic workshop turned into a workout space. And conveniently or inconveniently, depending on your viewpoint, there's a bakery, brewery, and pizza shop all right nearby. Last year was the first time they did the beer mile at this gym, so Jeff already has a strategy. I literally, I crushed my beer, and I was, like, half running. Everyone was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like... Like, going like it's a race, but it's not like that big of a deal. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you also don't want to die. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like the fat, the harder you run, you made a good point about breathing, right? Yeah, Jeff listened to my interview with Corey last Friday. The harder you run, the more oxygen you're you're not using it to digest or anything. Like I mean, your body kind of shuts down as it is when you're exercising. But even with like this, like breathing is so so helpful, right? But the first burps, they're the best. Like you walk out there, it's like. Now, speaking of Corey, the beer mile champion, let's refresh our memory on his advice. His first beer mile? I underestimated how hard it would be. It kind of seemed like it'd be a little easier. And then the more I was running and the further I got into it, I realized that holding down uh, all the fluids with all the carbonation and running and breathing heavy became a lot more of a challenge than I expected. I think my first time was around like 14 minutes. I had a penalty lap. I hated everything. I just wanted to quit, but they wouldn't let me. Now, I've, as I've gotten a little older and a little more wise, I realized that the running isn't the end-all be-all. It's about just trying to control your breathing more and trying to be steady for when you're doing the drinking and getting it up. And as advice to someone who isn't an awesome runner like myself? Don't go all out. Focus on the drinking, staying relaxed, just a nice, slow, easy pace. So generally what I do is I chug the beer, run the first 50 meters to 100 meters. I run it kind of slow and make sure I get out all the burps and feel relaxed. Then the next 200 meters to about 300, I run harder. And then the last 100 meters, I try and coast in so that I can slow down, catch my breath a little bit more so it makes the drinking a little bit easier. The last question I asked Corey was about the temperature of his beer. I like it cold. The, the colder it is, I find the less foam there is. Room temperature, I've just had nothing but bad stuff. It just like the way it carbonates and foams up is way more than if it's cold. And you don't notice the cold when you're running. So I decided to follow his lead, putting my four Belgian moons in the fridge overnight. And just as a reminder, it's four beers, at least 5% alcohol, 355 milliliter containers. Checked all the boxes. 
back at the gym, the stragglers had arrived. So I decided to do some pre-race interviews with some of my fellow runners. So my name is Braden, and I'm drinking Bud today. You know, a nice standard 5%. And uh, my goal is to not throw up today. My name is Sam. Uh, I'm running with a lukewarm Budweiser. Uh, goal of the day is a sub 10 minute. I ran sub 10 minute last year on a slightly short course, so as long as I don't throw up, I feel as though I can pull this off. What are you drinking today, Derek? Original 16. What's your goal? To not puke. My name's Darren. I'm drinking Surly and uh, Michelob Ultra. So you got three and then one. What's Why do you have four, a different kind there? I didn't know there's supposed to be four beers, so I borrowed some. <laughs> I'm Jeff McGregor, and my beer of choice Budweiser Heavy. My goal is to finish and have some fun. And now, it was time to race. And Jeff explained the rules. When the clock goes, everybody will open their first beer, and you will finish it however you want. You can't shotgun it, no straws, no anything. You have to drink it fast. No crushing, none of that stuff. Okay, you gotta show that your beer's done. So tip it over the garbage can, please, or over your head if you're kinda crazy. Once you finish that, you you leave out this door, you go all the way to St. Matthew's, you make the tiny loop, and then you come back in this door. Once you're back in this door, you grab your second beer, you drink it, finish it. Again, you do that four times. So it's four laps, four beers. If you throw up at any point, it's one penalty lap. Okay, if you're gonna throw up, sometimes you don't know you're gonna throw up. There's just, it just happens. There is a garbage can here. If you do throw up in the gym, I do expect you to clean it up with the bucket and mop that we have. But once you throw up, just leave it, finish the race, do it after. Are there any questions? No? Let's do this! Now this is the point where I was reminded I hadn't chugged a beer in, I wanna say, Years? I mean, I hardly ever have chugged a beer. And after maybe 45 seconds of struggling, I didn't look at the clock, I was through and was immediately regretting the fact they were cold. Ugh. Cold was a bad idea. Was a bad idea. Well, you know what? We don't have to go fast. That's Nico I'm running with, the one person drinking out of a bottle, but they are regulation. It's okay. First 100 meters or so, no good. Lots of burps. But then it's true, you find a bit of a rhythm. Help that I wasn't breaking the sound barrier with my speed. Back in the gym for round two, and I wasn't close to the front of the pack, but I wasn't last. Though, this wasn't about beating anyone else. This was about finishing with my dignity intact. Another struggle, beer two, down, and warning here. Gonna get gassy. Oh boy. Ah, disgusting. Okay, this is two. Through all of this, again, I wasn't paying any attention to what my final time would be. I didn't care. Just don't throw up. I, I don't feel like going hard here. Nope. Okay. Are you starting to feel the alcohol? Nope. I am. I'm starting to feel a little tingly. Oh boy. Halfway there, third beer. This is terrible. I hate this. Third lap, 
This time I'm on my own. Okay. Round three. For some reason, I decided to start talking to myself. Could be the beer. Extremities are starting to feel singly. I'm running down Wall Street by myself. Pretty much everyone's ahead of me. That's okay. I'm not racing. Just trying to finish. These are my inner thoughts. Spoken out loud to you on the radio. Weirdo. Guys try to parallel park. Needs to redo it. He's got it. He'll do it. All right. Almost there. Round four. Here we go. Ah. One more. One more. Ah. Beer four was probably the quickest to get down. Last run. sit down for a while after this. And once the gas was out, it was time to finish the race. Oh. Yes, I was done, finally, 15.36, and I didn't vomit. In fact, nobody had to do a penalty lap, but after the race, well, let's check in on our friends to see how they did. Not bad, I think I held on long enough. Right at the end, uh, save off Derek by three seconds. That uh, was uh, a big win for me. Uh, and uh, managed to not throw up until at least 20 seconds after I finished, so I call that a win. Did you throw up? I did throw up. Projectile vomit. Oh, oh, yeah, all over the place. I did a lot better than last year. PR'd. Yeah? Yeah. So you're happy with how you did? I'm happy because I feel like I helped Sam puke. Did you accomplish your goals today? I absolutely did. There was zero vomit out of my mouth today, so that was really good. Well, funny thing, I actually performed the exact same as I did last year. So you did the exact same time, or you at least maybe a bit disappointed that you didn't go faster? Absolutely not. I love drinking beer with my friends, and it doesn't matter the time. I'm just happy I finished without puking. And then, perhaps because I had just consumed four beers in less than 20 minutes, I decided to give someone else the mic. All right, Christian, so as your first beer mile, what is your overall review on how it felt during the running? Okay, so the first, you, you warned me that the first 50 meters or so would be all the gas, and you're right. You get to the car wash, and once you get there, it actually felt okay to actually go a little faster. I noticed on my chugging that I don't chug. I take a little bit, probably I'm doing it in quarters. I drink, I stop, I burp, etc. till I'm done. And I noticed that my body definitely got a little more tingly during the run as the alcohol kicks in. And as we are done right now, I should probably sit down for a good bit because it's starting to hit real good. <laughs> now that you've done it and you had a specific temperature, do you think you would change the temperature of your beer for the next time that we do this? I think I would try to drink it warmer. So I had my beer in the fridge overnight and probably in my car for a couple hours before I got here. And so it's still a little cold. It was tough. So I would think maybe I'd try warm next time. Overall, I was happy. I didn't Ralph. Got to write my name and time on the wall. And I'll do it again next year for sure. I'll try to go sub 15 
Oh, and don't tell anyone, but I played a hockey game later that day, and it was probably one of the best games I've ever played. Not that I'm going to do this more often. B-double-E-double-R-U-N, beer runs. B-double-E-double-R-U-N, beer runs. All we need is a 10 and a 5 or a car and a key and a sober driver. B-double-E-double-R-U-N, beer runs. Apologies for the guttural sounds. I told you. Told you there'd be some some burping, but anyway, would I do it again? Yes. At training camp, Marcus Sales talked to Bob Irving. Sales, one of the bombers that burst onto the scene last year, named Blue Bomber Rookie of the Year, and the defensive back was asked by Bob Irving how camp has gone so far for him. Uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm just trying to build on top of everything that I've done. You know, we have a lot of new guys that we're trying to get in and, you know, just trying to implement them into the offense, I mean, the defense. And, you know, we have good leaders like B.A. and Fenner and Gator that's been here and Hecht, you know, so we're just going to kind of keep the train rolling from last year. Go back to last year for me. You come into camp, and I guess it's different this year, but what do you recall about last year, this new experience up here? Well, last year I know it was it was a little difficult for me just coming in, you know, just playing the game and, you know, all the waggles I had to learn and just a different defense that I had to learn. But after coming in and playing all last year, like, it's so much easier for me to come into camp and, you know, you know, give a little more effort and a little more experience to the, especially to the younger guys that, you know, haven't done this. So, you know, I'm just, I'm still learning, but we have a lot of good uh, older guys that's helped me out and the coaches that's helped me out too. So a lot more confidence coming in this year, I'm sure. Yes, sir. So what uh, what did you work on in the off season, or what were your preparations like coming into this? Well, I know just this game, you know, it, it takes a lot of uh, speed and conditioning. So I mean, I was back home and training in uh, Lawrenceville, and my, my same trainer that we had out in pro, from our coming out from our pro day, you know, we just you know just you know train, just do a lot of like speed work, a lot of stuff in the sand, and you know just be out here and get, get conditioned, just kind of. Did you have a chance to reflect on what happened last year and some of the good things that happened to you? No, yeah, I definitely did. And, and this offseason, you know, I try to, you know, watch as much film as I can and, you know, just study the game a little bit better. A lot of the, uh, you know, free agents that switch teams, just trying to learn what they do. And, you know, I just feel like more, way more confident coming into this year and being able to help my team. As you saw the moves that the Bombers made, Willie Jefferson was added, and uh, your, your thoughts on what was going on in the winter. No, he is, he is a great addition to this team. He's not just a great person, but he's like a great player as well. And, you know, he's going to add his experience that he's had with the teams that he's had. And you can tell just by, you know, the way he's been practicing. You know, he just got a one-hand pick yesterday, and all that stuff is just going to help us out in the end of the day. So so what can you do better this year? This year, you know, I, I want to be more of a vocal leader. I want to be able to speak to the younger guys because I've always felt like that's something I needed to work on. I've always been the person that just can lead by example. But this year, you know, especially after playing last year, I feel like I can, I can uh, give more of my my experience so helping them out and then you know implementing them because a lot of the young guys are going to be able to might be able to play early in the season just because that's just how the game goes so that's what I'm going to do. I remember last year kidding with you about what a big hitter you were and you kind of surprised us a bit are you going to do that again this year? I hope so it, it, it still surprises me when I look back and on the film that how, how uh, hard I've hit a couple guys but you know I've just I've always just been in the right position and you know that's just credit to the coaches and the defense and all of us collectively be, built together and then that's just just the way our defense works. <laughs> I think we all feel that you have already won a starting spot on this team. Can you look at it that way, or do you have to be a little more cautious? Well, I don't. I don't want to just say just because I'm a starter. I feel like a lot of the guys, all of our 
you know, positions are interchangeable. And, you know, just because I played last year, you know, I'm, I'm in a different situation where I can play. But, you know, everybody is out here competing. We're all, you know, competing for a job. And, I mean, anything can happen, you know what I'm saying? So that's, I, don't, I don't have that mindset of just being a starter. I'm just out here trying to help my team as much as I can. So you don't feel you've made the team already? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to just say that. I just, I, just, I just come out here and compete. That's all I do. I don't want to just say if I made it or not because if I didn't, then, you know, I didn't. But if I did, and I'm just out here helping my team as much as possible. And now we transition to the every other Tuesday tradition. Jeff Brown and I watch a sports movie. Usually it's an older one, but this time we're going with Rush from 2013 because Nikki Lauda, F1 driver, passed away recently. So we decided to watch the movie that was somewhat biographical. The only thing I knew about this movie going in is that there's a crash at some point. I know that Nicky Lauda's story includes a fiery crash that kind of changes his life. And that's really all I knew about the characters of this going in. Really? Yeah. I didn't know anything about this going in. Okay. Not one thing. I'd never heard of this guy until uh, he well, passed away a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I had heard of this movie... I just, all I knew was that uh, Ron Howard had made a movie about race cars. I didn't know if it was, I didn't even know it was a true story. Right. Like at, in 2013 when it came out, I just knew it was that and I had no interest in it and I never watched it. Right. Well, this is the most recent movie we've watched in our series here. No, normally we go way back, but because of Nicky Lauda's recent death, and I'll be honest, I didn't know much about his story either because I'm not a huge racing guy. Yeah. I, I did watch F1 on like Sunday mornings when I was a kid without really knowing much about what was going on. But that's just because it was on TV and I was up. But uh, so the story is about the rivalry, I guess, between James Hunt, British driver, and Nicky Lauda from Austria in the mid 70s, in uh, starting with Formula Three and then going up to Formula One racing. And my first thought watching this is Chris Hemsworth is too hot. I know. I was the whole time. I was like, he might be the most handsome person to have ever been on this planet. You know what I mean? It was like, holy smoke! Thor in a race car, and he lost. What I, it was a good amount of weight after filming Thor for yeah, this. Yeah, but I guess he had a bulk up muscle for Thor or whatever. So and this just he's still very good looking. Yeah, that's what I thought, <laughs> and he knows it too because he spends the whole movie uh, sort of taking to bed anyone in his general vicinity that was willing to go to bed with him, and mm-hmm. most people were so, and including at the beginning with the nurse, uh, and that's Marjorie Tyrell from Game of Thrones. Oh, and I was like, well, this is going to be a pretty fun movie, I think. So yeah, so. <laughs> the the way that it's told is kind of through two dual protagonist narrators, and for the first half of it, it's almost James Hunt's story, and then it kind of shifts when Nikki Lauda gets in the crash. The, the- yeah, and I've thought for a long time, and even at the end, I was like, either one of these guys like on board with this movie because neither one of them is coming out particularly like a saint of any sort. Well, James Hunt died in the early 90s. But I didn't know that while I was watching it. Right. And Nicky Lauda actually, in at the end, he, he actually thought it was really accurate. Yeah. And he's sort of, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to say sociopath, but I sort of want to say sociopath. Because like, he's the mad genius, he's, right? He's the guy that would see that, and even though if a lot of it reflects on him poorly, it just wouldn't bother him because he'd say, well, it's accurate. And he knows that about himself, and it doesn't bother him in the slightest. So James Hunt is this partier type. He's like in a really aggressive driver, but his off-the-track behavior with drinking and womanizing, some people are hesitant to sponsor the drive. I have a theory why women like racing drivers. It's not because they respect what we do. It's our closeness to death. 
You see, the closer you are to death, the more alive you feel. The more alive you are. And they can see that in you. They feel that in you. But then he's actually a really good driver in the 1976 season, which is the crux of this film, is the race between Hunt and Lauda for the points title. Right. And, uh... Hunt ends up winning it on the last second, but not before one of the great comeback stories in sports, which is true. After Nicky Lauda gets in a crash, he's stuck in this inferno of a burning car. Eventually, he's rescued. He takes a couple, like four weeks off the race, and then he comes back in and almost wins the points title, but loses in the last race. It's crazy. And he gets out of that last race just because it was... Too eerily similar to the race where he hurt himself, and he right. probably made a good decision there. And he ended up winning the title the next year. So Yeah, and he knows, I'm surprised he didn't just tell it, oh, I guess he did, did he say it to the guy? He knows in the back of his head, it's like, if I wouldn't have crashed in that, if I would have had my full season, I would have easily won. And it, he so. says that kind of in that in that final scene at the plane, which is totally fabricated, that never happened. But. That's a good scene. You know, in the hospital, the toughest part of my treatment was the vacuum. And while doing it, I was watching television. You winning all my points. Your points. And then one day, the doctor came and said, Mr. Lauda, may I offer a piece of advice? Stop thinking of it as a curse to have been given an enemy in life. It can be a blessing, too. A wise man gets more from his enemies than a fool from his friends. And you know what? He was right. But it's a good scene that ties a narrative bow to the story. Yeah, I was very into that last race and that final scene in the hangar. That hangar scene could have been its own sort of one-act play. And for me, it went. this movie went from good to great in that final half hour or so. And just in general, the power struggle over between these two guys, whether it's better to just work, work, work and never enjoy your life or have, I don't know, like a work-life balance that Hunt had. And even if it means you don't reach the pinnacle of what you could reach, because that didn't seem to bother him a whole lot for most of the movie. That's just good fodder for any movie, especially a sports movie. And then, you know, they both, the truth is you got to find somewhere in the middle and they both sort of took a look at, like, Lauda lightens up a bit at the end. Sort of. Right. Like, when he pulls out of that race, his wife flashes before his eyes, and before this crash, that never would have ha- occurred to him. Right. Even the slightest. So the crash is actually almost carbon copy. How they filmed it and how it looked in the film was exactly how it actually happened in real life. Because they showed some real-life footage, it looked like, on mm-hmm. the TV in there, and I was like, oh, that looks exactly how they had the movie car set up and stuff. And one, yeah, it, that it was, turned, that out, was turned it out basically being uh, one guy that got him out of the car to save his life, pretty much, one of the race car drivers. And they changed that track after the fact. Um, that was the last year they held a race on there for a while because it was really long. And it was not actually called the Graveyard in real life. It's called the Green Hell by drivers. <laughs> and the boycott ahead of that race, they made it look like, as I am Captain Fact Check on movies, well, yeah, they actually had a really close boycott vote. I think Nikki Lauda's side lost by one. It wasn't a landslide. Oh, wow. So it was really close. And I think, and this didn't probably actually happen, but my favorite part of the movie was when Nikki Lauda and his eventual wife are broken down at the side of the road in the countryside. And yeah. two Italian guys come by in a car. They, she's like, hey, I'll, I'll get people to pick us and up. And she looks she's gorgeous. A, she's an attra- very attractive yeah. woman. But they stop because it's Nicky Lauda, and they want him to drive their car. I want you to drive my car. I wrote that down. I was like, oh, this is the, the cross that NASCAR racers have to bear is that everyone wants them to drive their car. So he's just like meandering <laughs> through the countryside, and then she says, well, I don't believe you're a race car yeah, driver. And then he's like, watch this. And <laughs> he just kicks it in the gear. We're not in a hurry. I'm not being paid. Right now, with zero incentive or reward, why would I drive fast? Because I'm asking you to. Ha <laughs> ha 
and the two Italians in the backseat are just having the time of their lives. That was that, that was, was a, that was a good. Scene. That was very funny. I like that. Uh, a nitpicky thing: the fake teeth that he wore to look like Lauda. Okay. Now, I sort of get that. You want to look like the real guy as much as possible. Kind of did. Yeah, but it, those teeth, it was just so distracting that they were fake. I didn't care. That didn't bother you? No, not that at all. That bugged me. That and his... It wasn't like Rami Malek. His voice sounded kind of hammy teeth. or whatever, and it's just like... I, I thought the distraction wasn't worth the authenticity, only because, unlike Rami Malek, where, I mean, that was uh, the guy from Queen, though. Freddie Mercury. Everyone yeah. knows who he is. Yeah, and there's like Nicky Lauda. Is like, I mean, I get that the race car people know who he is, right. and a lot, of, a lot of people would from that that era. were around in that yeah. era or whatever. But it's like, he's not exactly a household name. I don't, I didn't, I didn't think they had to go that far in the physical portrayal. Of did him. you think the acting was pretty good though? By the end, I sure did. At the beginning, I was like not so much sure, and I only know that guy from. Um, Glorious Bastards? Apparently. I've seen that a few times. I haven't seen that in years. I don't recall him in I, that movie. I'm the same way. I, I saw that. I've seen that movie, but I didn't remember him. But he's in it. Captain America Civil War, which okay. I've seen many times right. recently. So that's what, And he's the bad guy in that. So the one, I guess, flaw of the movie postscript is that the relationship between Hunt and Lauda was not portrayed completely accurately. They're actually way better friends than the movie lets on. When they show the actual photographs at the end, it, it, you could tell just from that. It's like, oh, these guys would... Like, they kind of lived together in Formula 3. They never actually had a thing race against each other back in the day. They weren't, like, bitter enemies at any point. They were actually friends. Now, Lauda still thought it was a spot-on. Of him, yeah. But uh, the... Hey, you got But the industry also liked it. They you got to do what you do for make your movie more interesting. Ron Howard said the the f- first time he showed it to the F1 folks, he was just terrified. <laughs> but they gave it a standing ovation. And yeah. It was all... That's the vindication it's, they wanted. It's like I'm sure when he showed Apollo 13, he would have been as scared as well. Exactly. To the room full of astronauts. astronauts. <laughs> Absolutely. So... And because like NASA folks especially are not known for... like. These guys live and die by science and facts, right? right? And it's like, ah, uh, that button should actually be two to the left instead of where it is. Right. During the movie, were you ever sure who you were supposed to be rooting for? No. I think that's probably why it didn't do as well as it probably should have. Is it's, it's kind of... It was kind of wishy-washy on like the point of view of was like who's this movie about? What's the point of this movie again? Right. So but it's I, about both I don't of know them. what that... Yeah. And, and by the end, I, you know, like them, I was like... Grew to like the two of them, especially the two of them together. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. It's a weird uh, frenemies situation mm-hmm. that got going on I found interesting. And I don't think James Hunt ever beat up a journalist, but apparently Lauda did get asked something like that about his appearance. And what did your wife say when she saw your face? She said, uh, sweetie, you don't need a face to drive. You just need the right foot. <laughs> I'm being serious. Do you really think your marriage can survive? With the way you look now. That, I actually looked that up afterwards, because when it happened in the movie, I was like, like, come no on. I was like, no. there's no way someone. And then it was, Doubles it was like, down like that. And I was like, what are you kidding me? Somebody actually said that to him? And he said, yeah. And he said it was the most hurting he'd ever been or whatever. Right. Period. So that's, that's come on. <laughs> I would almost like to know what happened to that guy who asked that, because that would be bad. That would be bad, yes. Our boss would get letters if we did that to somebody. Oh my God, yes. So overall, uh, you like this movie. I did like this one. Um, I thought it was 
I wasn't sure at first. I thought it was maybe especially just going to be like a corny reenactment kind of movie. But I thought the style was cool. I really the racing kind of the way the cars were shot in yeah. the racing was pretty good. Lauda really grew on me by the end, and uh, and Hemsworth, I was all in from the beginning because he's the world's most handsome man, and he got to play the cool party guy. How could you not like that, right? And and it looked yeah, it just looked so good when they were racing. It was I had volume cranked up. It was it was fun to watch. Okay, so your rating. Oh, dun, 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 dun. I'll go for I'll, I'll three and three quarter checkered flags out of five. How about that? 7.8 wet tires out of 10. <laughs> Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah.